God, Arantea. Uh, I love that. I love that. that that's 7,000 matches. All you pyros out there are like, that's how many? I was wondering how much. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot of heat. Uh, it sets off fire alarms, theoretically. Anyway, um, uh, but so, so this wildfire thing, we're in the middle of a, of a series using this metaphor for wildfire. And a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, like the song that, that the band just, just played, that use fire as a metaphor for different things. And, and we're going with this metaphor of a wildfire, and we're comparing that to the message of Jesus and how the very first church ever started. Jesus said that his church would start in this city called Jerusalem, still there in Israel today, right? But anyway, it wouldn't stay there. It would spread out through Judea and Samaria, throughout the Middle East, and eventually it would go to the ends of the earth, all the way to Colorado to where we find ourselves here today. So that wildfire is the message of Jesus that spread all over the planet. So, so one of the things that we've been, been looking at with wildfires is that, at least in Colorado, wildfires get a bad rap because whenever you think of a wildfire in Colorado, it's usually not good, right? I mean, every summer, here comes fire season and things like that. But, but I've been studying wildfires this week. You're welcome. That's what you pay me for. So, so, so I, I studied wildfires. Wildfires can actually be a good thing. They can actually be a good thing in, in the forest of Colorado. I mean, they can allow new things to grow. And here's what I mean by that. Just like sometimes a forest gets choked out by dead limbs and underbrush, a wildfire, and it could be caused by lightning, it could be caused by a spark, somebody throws a cigarette out the window, whatever that is, but it sets fire to some things, and all that unwanted dead brush and dry dead wood, it clears it out. And then when that wind blows against that fire, it gets so hot, the pine cones from those pine trees actually explodes and the seeds go everywhere, they germinate, new seeds are planted, allowing new trees to grow. It's the, it's the circle of life, Hakuna Matata. We all saw the movie, right? So, so that's just, the, it just keeps, keeps on going. So wildfires can serve a really, really, really good purpose. That is true. But while that is true, let me tell you what's not helpful, even though that's true. And it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not, write this down, it's the best thing you've ever heard in church. It goes like this, all right? Don't do this. Walking up to somebody who's standing in what used to be their front yard, as they're staring at the ashes of their home, here's something not to say. Don't say this. I know you lost everything you own, but in a few years, there's going to be some pretty new green pine trees where your bedroom used to be. See, there's a bright side to the tragedy. Don't say that. Don't, okay? Glass half full. Feel better? No. Get off my lawn. Right, right? Or, 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 or how about this? And I actually heard this last year when all those fires down around Colorado Springs. I was sitting on my couch watching the, the, the news reports, and I heard, this is the best I can remember, a TV reporter, and in the background you can see people being evacuated from, from, from the mountains because everything was on fire. She said something like this. She said, well, that's just the price of building in the mountains. These mountains have burned every year for the past several thousand years. They should have known better and not acted surprised that it happened to them. And I just sat on my, my chair, just, or, or on my couch, and I'm shaking my head because even if that's true, I just put myself in those people's situation. If my house had just burned to the ground and I heard you say that to me or to somebody that just lost everything, let me tell you what Pastor Jim's going to do, all right? He's going to pick up a piece of his burning house. And I'm going to take a swing at your head, all right? <laughs> and then I'll pray for you because I'm Pastor Jim, all right? So but, <laughs> but you're going to need prayer. You really are. So man, here's what I mean. Is even if it's true, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And that's what I want to look at today. What happens when the wildfire that hits your life doesn't make sense? And at the time, what you're going through in your life, you can't put the wildfire together, anything close to God is good. What do you do when something happens in your life and your circumstances and good Jesus don't seem like they can both be true? What happens when you think you're doing what you're supposed to do, trying to do the right thing, and it looks like a fire just burned down your life? That's what I want to talk about today. 
It's going to be a tough one, all right? We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We were studying through, we studied, we spent like two years studying through the life of Jesus. Now we're in the book of Acts. We're going to study how the whole church first got started. That's where we've been over the last four or five weeks in here. Let me kind of set this up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12. Free Bible's in the back, and it's going to be on the, on the screen as, as well. But we, we've watched this, this message of Jesus spread, again, all right? And the more that they try to stomp it out and say, don't talk about Jesus, don't start churches, don't go over there, don't tell anybody else about Jesus, the more they came against the church, the faster that fire spread. Where we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 12, the current religious leaders there in Jerusalem, all right, and, and the political leaders there in Jerusalem, his name's Herod, they're kind of in bed together. They kind of have this little conspiracy thing going. Herod, all right, has, has done a search for, for leaders of the church. He found a guy named James, the brother of John, not the half-brother of Jesus. That's another James, all right, has him arrested and has him executed by the sword. Now, anytime you read in the Bible that somebody was executed by the sword, it's just like what you've been hearing about over in the Middle East for the last 10, 12 years, all right? It probably means that Herod took, took James, had a, had a fake trial, took him out in a public square, had him bend over a log, somebody took a sword and cut off his head and made a public statement, stop, don't talk about Jesus anymore, this church thing needs to go away. And when he did that, his public approval rating kind of went through the roof among certain areas of, of Jerusalem. So he thinks, well, that's what I'm going to do. And he goes on a manhunt for all the church leaders there in Jerusalem. He finds a guy named Peter, pretty famous guy, right? Has him arrested, thrown into prison, schedules his trial for the next day. That's where we're going to pick up this story today. Peter's sitting in prison. James was just executed. All right. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Here we go. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him, all right? So, so Peter's in jail, but there's a church, that, and there's probably a couple thousand people in Jerusalem left that, 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 that haven't run away yet. So the church is earnestly praying to God for Peter. So I got a couple questions I want to throw out for you to kind of answer in your head today. But, but in your opinion, what, what do you think that the church was praying or, or asking God to do for Peter? What do you think they were praying for, 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 God, do this for Peter? Like release him, get him out, maybe, all right? Maybe, you know, just based on what's going on in the city, maybe a quick death. Don't let him suffer, God, all right? Maybe drop the charges, maybe keep him safe. Maybe they got really, really spiritual going, I know he's going to die, God, but before he dies, all right, maybe he can preach to some other people in prison and they can become Christians and they can all go to heaven together tomorrow. Maybe something like that. But let's just personalize this. If you found out, if, if, if our world got crazy enough and you found out that I got hauled off to jail, some of you are going, that's not hard to really imagine. But uh, for doing this, though, for, 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 for telling people about Jesus, for, for, for standing up and, and telling people about Jesus, what would, what, what would you pray? I hope you'd pray for me. Pray for me, all right? And, uh, but, but what would you be asking God to do for me? You know, if you think about it, if you got your friends together going, hey, Jim's in prison just because of this whole flattering thing, what would you pray? And hopefully you'd pray something like this. I hope he gets out. Do that, all right? Um, <laughs> Maybe pray stuff like, just God, make it go away, but maybe, you know, make, make the trial go well, have the charges drop. But my point is this, if, if I were to say, will you pray for me, most of us, if you did pray for me, would pray things that made sense. Praise that you go, well, that seems reasonable. Other people have gotten out of jail for stuff like that. I've seen this happen in other places before. You would pray things that, that, are, that are possible. I think it's possible, God, so make, make that possible thing happen. Now, hold on to that, verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So he's not going anywhere. He's in a prison cell. He's chained to two guards, and there's guards at the door. He's, he's in. He's not going anywhere, right? Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Now let's just think about this. 
all right? Because I'm pretty sure that, I might be wrong here, but I don't think I am. I'm pretty sure that nobody in the church that was praying for Peter prayed this prayer. Dear God, shine a light in the cell, send an angel, and make the chains fall off his wrist. I mean, when, when I said, what would you pray for me? Did anybody think of that? Dear God, Jim's in Boulder in jail again. All right, so, uh, so send a light and disintegrating chains pop off, all right? No, probably not. Most of us didn't even think. I didn't even think to pray for something like that. Yeah, me either, all right? Let's keep going. Verse 8. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. You got to catch that. This is important, right? In that moment... Not only did the church not know really what to pray for, right? Peter didn't even think that what was really happening to him was really happening. He thought, I'm having a dream. I'm having a dream. And, and here's why. And I, I, don't, I don't even blame him, all right? If you go back to chapter 5 of the book of Acts, all right, all the apostles got kind of rounded up one day and thrown into jail, and then an angel let them out, okay? But, but let's just be honest, all right? God did that once. He's not going to do anything that weird again. I mean, that's why, like, I, I, know, I know he's done that for other people, but surely, I mean, he, that was a one-time thing, so I'm not even going to ask for that. And since chapter 5, this is what we've looked at, all right? There's this teenage kid named Stephen. He was murdered for following Jesus. They stoned him to death, right? Saul, right after that, a guy named Saul had gone on like a persecution rampage. He'd gone all over that part of Israel, had people, Christians, hauled out of their homes and put in prison and, and executed and broken up families. And then Peter had just watched his friend James, he spent the last three and a half years with, killed, beheaded, probably maybe even staying in the same cell that Peter was sitting in right now. And don't forget this, just a few months ago, Jesus was crucified right over there right? So I'm pretty sure Peter's sitting there going, the same thing's going to happen to me. Probably the same thing, James didn't get out, I'm not going to get out. Maybe he was, again, I'm just making this part up, but maybe, maybe he was rehearsing his last speech. I mean, right before Stephen died, he said, he quoted Jesus, don't hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died. Maybe Peter's going, I want to say something great right before they cut my head off. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think he was saying or thinking, send a light, and maybe an angel, and no more change. In a few minutes, like five minutes from now, I'd like to be walking through the middle of town on my way home. I don't think he was praying that. Maybe I'm wrong. Verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. That would be cool. And they went, the, and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. So here's my second question. When did Peter understand what God was doing? When did it start making sense? After. After, all right? After it was over. When he's like down a couple blocks from prison. I was in that prison five minutes ago and now I'm not. That's when Peter had his aha moment. His, okay, now I get it. Now I know how the Lord's gonna take care of me. Now I know how, how Jesus is gonna rescue me. Not during. Didn't, didn't think it was possible during, after. Now hold on to that. Hold on to that. Verse 12. I love this part. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And I love this, all right? Peter, walk, he's walking out from the prison, all right? It's the middle of the night. He knocks on the door of a house where people were inside and they were praying and they were praying for Him. There's a prayer meeting going on inside going, help him, help him, help him, help him, all right? And so they're, they're praying, but they're also praying in the house of the woman whose son had just been executed by the same sword of the same politician who ran the same prison where they thought Peter was sitting right now. So they're having, they're having a prayer for a guy sitting in the same cell as the lady's son who's just executed. Got it? Verse 13. 
Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. <laughs> this is great. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. It's like, ah! All right? And, and then here's the Christian response. You're out of your mind. And that, and that really translates, you're a maniac. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. We've been praying for Peter. We've been asking God to do things for Peter. It can't, it can't have worked. It can't have worked. It must be a ghost. It must be his angel because what we're asking God to do, I'm, I'm sure God didn't do, all right? Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as, as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Herod's a bad guy, Right? But here's what I want to look at today, all right? I want to look at that phrase, the church was earnestly praying. The church was earnestly praying, all right? I mean, because that, that, that's what the church is, that's, that's one of the things that we're told to do, earnestly pray. And that earnest, that would be a good description of how we pray when something hits our life that is or feels really, really bad. We're not talking about ordinary prayer. We're talking about earnest prayer, right? It's just a different kind of prayer. When life hits your, when stuff hits your life, you pray differently than when everything's going great, right? That's just, that's just true. And earnestly, it literally means this, stretched out, extended, continual, intense. I'm not talking about our normal drive-by five-second prayer that we don't really, you know, we, I mean, this is what we're really good at. Hey, bless him. And then we keep on going. We don't even break stride. Helper, Jesus. And then we just keep on driving, right? That, we're not talking about a drive-by prayer. We're talking about an earnest prayer. What, what's that mean? I'm talking about this. Something hit my life. My knees buckled. I'm curled up between the bed and the wall. That kind of prayer. Earnestly stretched out where I, I, I'm lifting up my hands towards the ceiling, hopefully to God, and I'm begging God, God, I need your help. Anybody pray that kind of prayer? When it's all I can do, right? So here's my question. When hard times come and fearful times come and overwhelming, I can't imagine this ever working out any, well in any way, all right? When life really is hard and confusing, we start earnestly praying for whatever. What are we supposed to pray for? You know, what, what is it that, that, that you and I, we pray for? What is it that we really need God to do when life is really, really, really confusing and hard? And here's the answer, my answer anyway, is this, is sometimes I don't know. I don't know what to pray for. I mean, let's just be honest. We think we know. We feel like we know what God ought to do about what's going on because in my mind, all right, it makes sense. It's best. As a matter of fact, what I'm telling God to do, I cannot imagine him coming up with a better plan than what I want to happen, right? Because in my, in my prayers, everybody comes home, everybody gets along, the bills get paid, everything works out. That's the way I pray. So if God has a different answer to that prayer, I can't imagine how that would be better than mine. So here's what we do. I do anyway. I, I ask God to change things. Don't you? I mean, everybody, you, you pray, God, I know this is going on, change it. Make it happen different, all right? And so I ask God to change things all the time. And that's not bad. That's, that can't be a sin, to ask God to change things. You know why I know it's not a sin? Because Jesus did it. Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, three times, all right, Jesus asked God, God, if it's possible, could we change things? I know the plan. I know tomorrow. There's a, there's a, a fake trial. There's a beating. There's a whipping. There's spitting. And then I'm nailed to a cross and, I, and I'm executed up there, right over there on that hill. Okay, your will be done. If that's the only way to get to where we need to go, your will trumps everything. I'm just asking, is there another way to get to the same outcome that's different? We've all prayed like, stuff like that. I want God's will to be done. I just don't want to go through what's about to happen. So is there another way? 
I've asked that, God to do that. You've asked God to do that. Jesus asked God to do that. Now, Paul, Paul wrote a prayer, a really famous prayer, and he prayed this prayer several times. I want, I want to park here for a little while, all right? He wrote this one. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So he's asking God, God, change my circumstances, all right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away, change this thing, all right? Paul, you've got to think about who's writing this. A guy with amazing faith. If we took all of our faith and piled it in the corner, Paul's would be bigger, this guy's just amazing, all right? He wrote big chunks of the Bible. He loved Jesus, all right? And he, if you read the rest of the story, he says, I, there was given to me a thorn stuck in my flesh, and it tormented me. And he doesn't tell us what it is, and I'm glad. Because if he had told me what it was, then we'd say, well, the whole story's about that. And so if you're going through that, but he doesn't tell us what it is. The reason is, I think, is because everybody's got something tormenting their life. Everybody's got something stuck in their life, and we've asked God over and over and over, can you take it away? I don't know what his thorn was. Maybe it was a physical thorn. Maybe his body didn't work. There's all kinds of you know, studies on the, on the, on the Apostle Paul that, that maybe he was crippled because he, he got beaten so many times that he had an eye disease or something like that. Maybe it was a physical thorn, and he prayed, God, if you just take this away, I can serve you better. Maybe it was a spiritual blockage in his life. Maybe it was a temptation like some of us have, is that something gets in front of our eyes or a thought gets in our head, it spins faster and faster and faster out of control, and we go down a road going, whoa, whoa, and we ask God, don't let me be tempted by that anymore. Take that, it's like a thorn, it messes everything up. I don't know what it was, but it jabbed him over and over and it wouldn't stop and it wouldn't go away. And Paul says, I pleaded with Jesus. And that really translated, I begged Jesus. Jesus, I'm begging you, make it stop, change it, take it away. All right, and here's the answer that comes back from Jesus. Verse nine. But he, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So here's, here's the answer that comes back to Paul, the most famous Christian ever, all right, the best Christian ever. He loves Jesus with all of his heart, risks his life over and over and over to spread the message of Jesus, all right? Here's the answer that Paul gets back from G Jesus when he pleads with Jesus, asking for something painful that's ruining his life to be taken away. The answer is, Paul, I hear you. I know it hurts. I know it makes you feel weak. Here's the answer. No. No. No, it's going to stay. Like for a week? No, no, it's not going to change. It's, there's no promise it's going to get better that it's ever going to go away. But it's not just no, no. You know, like when we say no to our kids. Well, why, Dad? Because I said so. It's not that because Jesus said so. It's not that kind of a no. It's a no with a promise. It goes like this. No, Paul, but I'm going to take care of you. As your thorn torments your life, all right? The thorn stays, but I'm staying. The thorn's not going anywhere, and neither am I. And Paul's response to that? Okay, therefore, if that's true, if you're gonna keep your promise, take care of me and give me grace, right? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, and here's the only explanation, for Christ's sake, because of his promise, I delight in weaknesses. And I, that, that word delight always messed me up. It's like, yippee, I got a thorn. It's like, that's not what it means. It's like, oh, praise the Lord, my life's ruined. No, 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 delight would be the opposite of hopelessness. All right, so, so basically you say, I still have hope in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And here's why. For when I am weak, when I'm at my worst, then I am strong. Why? Because Jesus said he'd be my strength. Now, I'll be honest with you. At first, I mean, that's a good answer, but it's not the answer I want to hear. I'd rather hear, I'll take your thorn away. I'll fix your problem. I'll take it all away, all right? It doesn't really seem to satisfy. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Uh, a few weeks ago, I threw out this phrase, and I've, I've used it several times. It goes like this. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead anybody where you haven't been yourself, right? That's just true. So here's what I know. That's true. What, what Paul says 
It's true, and it works. So how can you say it? Because it's my story. It's our story. It's my family's story. It's, Rob, it's Rob, Robin's story, all right? See, I know that's true because we're, I was going to say, I've been there. We're still there. See, these are the verses that my wife, Robin, says, this has held me together, sustained me through almost 30 years of bipolar disorder, depression, migraine, seizure disorder, and being married to me. She says, God's grace is the only thing. She actually says that. But anyway, so it's a... Uh, it's the only thing. It's the only thing we can point to and go, that's the reason. Not because we're, we love each other. Not because we're, we're great husbands and wives or men and women. No, no, because God has held us together. Because I'll be honest with you, all right? Over the last 30 years, we have asked, we have begged God, change our life. Fi- fix what's going on. Take it away. We've made deals with God. We've done everything we know to do. And, and I think when Paul says I, three times, I think he's being modest there. Because in my house, it's in the thousands Right, you got stuff that you've been going through for years. And it's not, you you know, Tuesday I prayed three times and that was it. No, no, you prayed three times during lunch. You know, I mean, you you prayed thousands of God changes, 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 all right? And so far, all right, and we've we've done everything we know to do, the Bible says to do. We pray by faith. We've had people come around us. We've had, had people lay their hands on us. We've had people fast for us. We've done everything we've known to do, all right? And the answer from Jesus so far as we've begged, change our life, the answer 100% of the time has come back, no. No. And I told him, that's not a good answer. It's not a good, I mean, we, we can serve you better. We can, we can take better care of our families. No, no, the answer is no. But we also know that the only way that she and we've made it this far is because God has faithfully kept his promise and given us grace and mercy as we've walked through the valley of the shadow of death and depression and all the fallout that lands on our marriage, lands on our kids, on our family, on our finances, lands on everything. Because here's the truth, all right? When bad stuff, hard stuff hurt, hits your life, it's, it's not polite enough to stay in its lane, Right? <laughs> It goes over everything. It's like, well, that didn't have anything to do with that. But it's ruining that over there. It, it affects everything. And that's, that's Robin's story. But it's my story, too. I shared last week, all right, a little bit of my story. And thanks for all the great feedback and, uh, and, and conversations I've had with you over the last week. But, but here's my story really, really briefly because it, it, it continues. It's, it goes like this. For decades, I have looked at the hard, painful life's things that, that, that damaged my life and stole years, decades of my life away from me. Ruined parts of my life, causing me to believe things about myself that are untrue. They don't match up with what God has said is, about, said is true about me and what I believe to be true about myself, all right? I know what the Bible says. I can teach the Bible. I can teach you what the Bible says about you. Here's my problem. I couldn't shake them or forgive myself. God gave me grace. I wouldn't give me grace. And I prayed for years for God to change my circumstances, take away the thoughts that get in my head. When something goes in front of my eyes, the temptation that rolls down that and it just blows up stuff and all the shameful memories about what happened to me and what I've done as a result of that. Yet even though I know I'm forgiven, until very recently, I wouldn't let myself off the map. Right? I, I couldn't let go of my past. Until the last, just the last few weeks, I kind of had a breakthrough with God. But I also had this revelation from God. Like, 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 Three sad, two, two Thursdays ago, I'm sitting on my back patio and, and I'm working through some questions about my past before I, right before I got on an airplane and went to Texas for this men's retreat. And here's my aha moment, one of the biggest breakthrough moments of my spiritual life, probably in the last 10 years. And it goes like this. And, and again, if you would have suggested I would ever get to this point in my life, if you would have suggested this a year ago, I would have told you you're crazy. You know, there's just no way I'm ever going to get to that point. But here's where I am today. If all the events of my past, good, bad, happy, sad, painful, shameful, abusive, if that's the only path that would get me to where I am today, this moment, with this life, this wife, this family, and this ministry, I would not only do it all again, but now on the back end, I would, and I've finally been able to look back at God and say, you're good. You were always good. I thought you were bad. I thought you left me alone. Now I know you never did. You were good all the time. And I don't know. See, I'm not that deep of a theologian. 
I don't know whether God caused the stuff in my life to happen or allowed it to happen. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We're going to talk about it one day. When I get to heaven, could you explain that? All right, all right? I don't know. All I know is this. It was all worth it if that's the only way it takes, if that's what it took to get me to this. Now, don't over-spiritualize it, all right? That doesn't mean I'm looking at everything in my life and going, it was all good. No, it wasn't. It was bad. It was evil. It was shameful. It was abusive. It was, it was sinful. It was devastating. But good God kept his promise to take care of me, and now he's using it. He's using the worst parts of my life. You say, well, how? Now. Now, because I, I, I have the best seat in the house. I see hundreds of you going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what. It didn't make sense to, you know, a year ago, but now it's starting to make, make sense. And again, I don't want to come across as better than I am because just like that church was praying and they didn't even know what to pray for, they earnestly had no idea because they'd never seen it happen before. That's where I've been a big chunk of my life. There's times in all of our lives where nothing makes sense and I hated my circumstances and I was angry at God and I, was, and I hated some people and so I prayed and I asked God and that's not even honest because I tell God what he ought to do more than I ask him. Anybody else? Four of us, the rest, uh, all right, right, so all right. I tell God, God, you ought to do this. This is what you ought to do but I never even thought about what, God, what else God might be doing and like Peter, all I saw was my prison cell. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get out of this, I'm just gonna sit here, right? See, most of the time, most of the time, what God is, is, is doing and, and how he chooses to answer our prayers, while God always answers every prayer in the right, best, and true way, most of the time, how or why God answers the way that he does, it doesn't make sense in the moment. It won't make sense until afterward, later, down the road, when you're looking back at what you just walked out of. And the big things, I'm going to be really honest with you, all right? Maybe not until we get to heaven and we look at God and we go, could you please explain to me Tuesday? That, that, that day, that marriage, that this, that, 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 that season of mine. Could you, could you explain? And you know what? If we still need an explanation, he will. He will, all right? But the truth is, many times, and I would even say for me, most of the time, I don't know what to pray for. I think I do, but what if I'm wrong? What if I'm asking God to do the wrong thing, all right? And Paul understands that as well. See, look at this great teaching. We're going to get to this in a couple of months when we get to the, the book of Romans. He, he says this, in the same way that I've been talking about, right? In the same way, the Spirit, the Spirit, what do you mean? The Spirit of Jesus that moves inside of every one of us. The Spirit helps us in our what? Our worst moments, all right? I don't really need a help in my strength. I got, I'm strong, I'm, I'm great. I need help in my weakness. Here's, here's what happens in my weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, I love this word, groans that words cannot express. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's us, in accordance with God's will. Again, Paul nails it. He nails my life. He nails my family's life and our story, all right? See, if you were to go out to the lobby or get on a website when you get home today and, and look at or ask for the video, could you give me Robin Bergen's testimony about her battle with depression, all right? And do, do that. I dedicated two chapters of, my, of, of that dragon book out there just to Robin's story because it's so, it's so, it just nails when life is hard. But there comes a time in her story where she's so overwhelmed by her pain, so frustrated that she's done everything she knows to do. We've done everything we know to do for her health problems, for all of them. We went to the doctors, we took the medicine, it didn't work, we tried to do medicine, that didn't work. We went to a new doctor, we tried that, we did. It worked for a while, then it didn't work any while. We prayed, we fasted, we've done everything that we know to do. And it just feels like confusing. Nothing is working. It doesn't feel like God's paying attention. And so, so Robin, her story goes like this. A day came when she laid down on our couch. She told me about this later. I was at work. She was home by herself. She laid down and curled up on a ball on the couch and she said, dear God, I'm done. I don't have any more prayers left. This is the last one. 
all right? She told Jesus, I'm out of prayer. And if anybody's going to pray, you're going to have to do it for me. I don't have any prayers left. And she said, in that moment, he did. He, I, not, I, he didn't, I, she felt his arms around him, taking care of her. He took my groans. I laid there and just, uh, and turn, he, he turned them into prayers. Ever been there? Let me just tell you, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. So how do we pray when life is painful and hard and we don't see a way out? We're always talking about Jesus wants us to have a better way to live. Well, what's a better way to pray? How about this? How about this? Dear Father, all right, this is what's going on and this is what I want to happen. And from where I sit, this makes sense and seems best. So I hope you do it this way. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer, all right? But don't stop there. Don't stop there, because basically you're saying, what I want and what I understand, that's all I want. Keep going with that prayer. It goes like this. But I believe that you are who you say you are, and that you are good, and even if I can't see how or why this is happening in this moment of my life, and even though I am begging for this, I still want that to happen. I want that to change, all right? But above all, I know that you are good, so whatever you do, I know it's going to be the right answer. Just help me trust you, because right now I'm having a hard time. See, I believe that you'll keep every promise that you've made. For example, here's God's will for my life. God's will for my life is this, that he will give me grace and mercy. He may not give me all the answers in my life, but I can go to him in my greatest time of need. He'll give me grace and mercy sufficiently, more than enough. So, so, so God, I'm asking in this moment, I'm, I'm begging, I'm pleading, just take care of me. See, I, lo- I love my job most of the time. I have a good job. I, I love it. I have no complaints. There's a part of my life, uh, of my job that's really, really, really hard. You guys ask me hard questions. You know why? Why? Because life is hard. I'm, we're never going to be at church that pats you condescendingly on the head and go, it'll all be fine. It'll be fine. It might not. It might not. It might not get fine for a long time. So maybe with Jesus, life is really, really hard. I ask myself these questions too. But people come up to me and ask me questions like this. Pastor Jim, can you explain this? Why was I sexually abused? Why did my babies die? Why, why, why did my parents abandon me? And they, they, my, my dad picked another family. What, what's wrong with me? Why, why doesn't my body work anymore? Why am I still alone? Why am I curled up in a ball of depression? Well, let's just go back to the story today. Why am I locked in a prison? I just tried to do the right thing. Why did my son James die? God, why did you let my son die? Why could you, why, how could you let him? Because you could have stopped it. How did you, why did you let him be executed by a horrible, bad man? Now, I used to put pressure on myself to be your Holy Spirit and tell you what's going on in your life. To have a magic verse and went, does that clear it up for you? I mean, all right. But the truth is, in the moment, there is no answer that will satisfy. I mean, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I had somebody come up to me and ask me why their child died, all right? And let's be honest. Even if I could point to a verse, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't help. I mean, if I could go, well, according to the Bible, here's why some people get abused and raped. Here's why your wife is sick and it doesn't look like she's going to get any better. And here's why babies die and some people are born with hearts that don't work the right way. And here's why your dad got cancer and suffered, all right? Think about it. Even if I could point to a Bible verse or God would send an angel and explain it to you in your bedroom tonight, there is no answer that would make you look at what's going on in your life and your response would be even close to, oh, then I'm Okay. Oh, now that you've explained it to me that way, now that all makes sense. I'm connecting all the dots. That's, that's great. I'm, you know what? Thank you, you know, for explaining to me why that horrible thing happened. I'm, at this point, I'm now actually, I'm glad it happened. I'm actually thankful it happened. If I could do my life all over, sign me up. I, I'd had the exact same tragedy destroy me and destroy the people I love. Praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> but I've heard pastors preach that. And if you really had faith, you should just grab your bootstraps and pull and it's all God's will, all right? That's, that's absurd. See, see, in the moment, this is unthinkable, unimaginable, and cruel. And anybody who would say something like that to me in the painful moment that I'm thinking of, well, I know you have the best intentions. You're trying to follow Jesus, and you're trying to give me spiritual comfort and stuff like that. But if you say that at the wrong moment, I promise you, you 
We're going to fight. We're going to fight. I'm going to come at you and tell you to keep your spiritual advice to yourself. I mean, don't tell me. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody right after they got raped that God's going to use your rape. How about this? I don't care. I choose not to be raped if I get a vote, right? Don't tell me that if God's, it's God's will that my children died. Really? Then I'm out on God in the moment. That just seems mean and cruel, I, right? When, I'm, when, when I feel like I'm getting burned to death in a fire, don't yell into the furnace. It's going to be okay. God's going to give you a furnace ministry someday to help people through their fire. Just shut up, all right, right? <laughs> Thank you, all right? See, see I, I have the Holy Spirit. I listen to him, all right? See, it doesn't make sense. And I can't hear your spiritual advice. And I can't even hear God in my pain because I'm on fire and I just want it to stop. So what do we do then? What's a good prayer when life just fell apart? It feels like everything just got burned to the ground. How about this? This is what I'm trying to do, right? God, this is what I want. And this is what I need. And this is what I'm begging for. I'm pleading for. I don't like or understand what's going on in my life. I hate it because it burns. But... But I'm going to hold on to my faith that you're good and you'll take care of me and that you'll hold me together and I'll hold on to this. I know what your will is for me. Your will is you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You died so that you would always be with me in this moment right now in my fire and my doubt and my anger and my confusion and my anger that leads me to curse you, God, and say, I don't like you anymore. All my sinful expressions that are coming out of my pain, nothing, including all of that, will ever separate me from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. It'll never cause him to stop giving, loving me or taking care of me. So God, here's my prayer. I'm out of strength. I can't do this anymore. All I can do is lay on the couch or the bathroom floor and moan, so I need your strength. I need you to be my strength. I need you to hold me together. I need you to keep your promise that your grace will be enough, and not just enough to get through lunch. I mean more than enough, because if I don't have you, I'm done. I'll just die. Honestly, without Jesus, I want to die. I, I do. It feels like death would be better than life without hope, right? See, you, but you got to think. You got to keep on pushing through this. For the abused person, for you that sit in this room and you're hurting right now, the abandoned, the betrayed person, the sick person, the lonely person, what happened to you or what happened to some people that you love, all right? It's bad. I'm not taking anything away from it, but it might not be our biggest problem. Here's what I mean. See, my, our, my, my biggest problem is this, is that when life hurts this bad, my first response is to look at God and lose my faith and, and choose to stop trusting him and tell him he's not a good God anymore based on how I feel in this painful, I can't make sense of it moment. But think about it. I can turn my back on good God and I still am in a fire. Nothing changed. I still have to walk through this, all this pain. But now I'm going to have to walk through it without good God to lean on and give me grace and mercy. And I'm just telling you for myself, I'm not that strong. I'm not. I can't do it by myself. But the hardest, cruelest things that happen in life, without the strength and mercy and grace of God, I'm done. Some of you, I know what you're thinking right now. You're sitting there going, it's too late for me. I'm already done. I'm done. I'm out. I'm dead. There's nothing left. You know what I'm going to say to you? It's not true. No, you're not. You're not done. You're not dead. How can you say that? Because you're still here. You're, you're here. You're here, right? Last week, I think the key phrase that people walked out of here was this. I did the best I could. And I did the best I could. With the information I had and the strength that I had, I did the best I could. Looking back, it was wrong. I made some mistakes. I'd do it different if I could. I can't. Jesus forgave me. I'm moving on, right? I did the best I could. This week, I think the key takeaway would be this. I'm still here. Life has tried to burn me to the ground. I'm still here. And the only explanation that I'm even alive, let alone sitting here right now, is this. God has not left me and God has not abandoned me. God is with me. Why are you still here? Because God's with me. That's the only explanation. It's the only explanation why some of us are alive, still married, still having conversations with our, with our kids, with our parents or whatever, is that God has not, it's not the final chapter of your life has not been written yet. You're still here. 
You're still here. And let's get back to this wildfire theme. See, my life got burned up by a wildfire, burned down by an arsonist. I lost, I feel like I lost everything in my life I thought was snuffed out. Here's what I want to leave us with today. Is it possible? Just give yourself a breath here, all right? Is it possible that in this moment right now, maybe for the first time in a long time, you see a little bit of light? Just not, not a fire, an ember, a flicker, all right? But at least it's something it's more than it was, all right? And out of that small spark, maybe, and you can ask God for this, maybe a new fire can start in your life. Can you believe that today? See, listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And in context, James is saying, your words have the potential to burn down everything. Right? Just like a spark sets a forest on fire, your words can kill. They're that powerful. But if that's true, then the opposite has to be true as well, but in a positive way. We can also use our words to confess and say things which are the overflow of our heart. That's how Jesus said, to speak life and hope and healing into our lives and to other lives as well. For example, Paul writes this. But what does it say? And he's talking about, this is what Jesus taught us. The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. So Jesus is he's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. What is the word of faith that we proclaim? Here it is, all right? Faith. Jesus is who he says he is, and he will keep his promise to take care of you. That's what we lean our lives against, all right, right? And he backed it up by dying on a cross and raising from the dead. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And whenever you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is he's got this. He's strong. He's powerful. Jesus is Lord. He's master. He's, whatever I'm going through, he's got this. And if so if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you kept that promise, he's going to keep every other promise, you will be what? Saved. Not just saved eternally, although it certainly includes that, but saved in this fire, saved in this tragedy, saved in whatever thing, you're, the furnace that you find yourself in today. He'll take care of you. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You can speak, it, speak out of the overflow of your heart what you believe. It goes like this. Here's my prayer. My life is hard. My life is hurting. This feels like too much to bear. I don't know how much longer I can go through with this. Part of me wants to die. But right here, Jesus, in this moment, in this chair, even though my body and my emotions feel differently and want to deny and give up, right here, I'm choosing to believe that God is still good and I need his, to keep his promise to take care of me, to give me mercy and grace in my time of need. I'm choosing to believe that in my weakest moments, which is right now, I need Jesus to be my strength. See, in my weakness, I don't even know what to pray, so I'm going to moan this out. Jesus, here's all I got. I confess with my mouth, not what I feel, but what I believe in my heart. By faith, Jesus, you're good and you'll take care of me. See, I believe God is good. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to save me and keep on saving me no matter what. Now, here's how I want to wrap this up. I got to confess something to you. I kind of lied to you last week. And here's what I mean by that. Take a breath. It's all right. All right. Um, so you did it again. But here's what I mean. All right. Last week, I wrapped up the service. I had a bunch of men stand up. And I said, this makes you feel uncomfortable. We don't do audience participation very much. We're not going to do it next week. All right. Well, we are. We are. Because here's the truth. All right. This, you can't listen to the talk that I just gave you without thinking about something. Because life is hard. That's just true. So it's, it's, it's voluntary. It's audience participation. And you don't have to do this, but I hope you will. But let me just talk to, 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 to this church, all right? If you're here and you're going through or about to go through something that if good Jesus doesn't hold you together, you're just not going to make it. If you need Jesus to be your strength and you need him to help you in the fire that you find yourself in, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you stand up right where you are? And if you can't stand up, just raise your hand. Just go ahead and do that right now. If you're going through something okay now stay up all right stay up 
And here's what I want you to say around. You need to look around the room, all right? Because one of the reasons and the purposes of the church is to come together for this reason. I'm not alone. See, you, you, you walked in. Go ahead and be seated. You, you, you walk in and are thinking, I, I bet I'm the only one who has this jacked up of a life. I bet I'm the only one who's been treated this way. I bet I'm the only one facing like this, something like this. And you are not alone. And I want to pray for you, all right? But here's the other thing. Church, we've got to get better at bearing one another's burdens and taking care of one another and earnestly praying. We've got to get beyond five-second drive-by prayers going, help her, whatever it is. Help her, all right? And, all right? We need to stop and earnestly go to the Lord on behalf of one another. And I know that sounds religious, but doesn't it sound awesome also? I mean, all right, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to pray, and then uh, Joe and, uh, is going to lead us in worship, and John's going to lead us in worship up at West. But here's what I want you to do. You saw somebody around, the, around you that stood up or raised their hand. You don't have to know their deal. You don't have to know their fire. You don't have to know anything about them. But would you just pick out one or two people this week and, and earnestly pray for them? I don't know her name. She was crying. Obviously, she's going through something, Lord. I'll call her... Judy, I don't know, but, but, but God will sort it out. You know, you, I, that guy who couldn't even stand up. I saw him start to stand up, but he couldn't. I want to pray for him. Whatever this, just go to the Father over and over and over on behalf of that. And listen, you who stood up, doesn't it just help to know that you're not alone? There's somebody out there, a brother or sister, that you may never, ever meet until you get to heaven going, I'm the dude that prayed for you, right? right? It, just that you're not alone in this. There's sometimes I don't know what to pray for. And the stuff that's this hard, all that comes out is, ah, uh, Jesus got that, all right? I'm gonna pray and then the guys are gonna lead us in worship and then uh, we're gonna pray for one another after we leave here. God, I come to you on behalf of your church, of your, of your sons and daughters. God, we are carrying heavy weights. We walked in here thinking, I, I, I bet I'm the only one. I'm about the only one that has this kind of problem that's been treated like this, that's made these kind of mistakes. I bet I'm the only one that's, that wrestles through this. I'm ashamed of the things that I wrestle with. If people knew, the truth is if people knew, we, We'd probably embrace you tighter. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. God, we need grace. We need wisdom. We don't know how to, we're, we're, we're afraid. There's part of us, we know what we're supposed to do, but it's so, it's so scary. We just don't think we can do it. We know we're forgiven. We know Jesus died on a cross. We know that if we died right now, we'd go to heaven. It's this other thing that haunts us in this life and ruins everything in this life. And so God, in this life, we need your help and your presence. We're going to pray and we're going to ask for what we think is right. But if it's not right, God, somewhere between our mouth and your ears, your spirit just needs to turn it around and make it into a prayer. God, sometimes we ask and we ask and we beg and we plead 3,000 times. And we feel like all we get is silence. But you're not silent. You're good and you're there. And it won't make sense until later if it ever makes sense. So God, we give you the things in our life that are out of control, that are on fire, and that they hurt right now. And we ask you to be good to keep your promise to give us grace and mercy in this moment, in this time of need, to hold us together, to heal up those broken parts. And God, if we can't believe that today, will you store this away in our hearts so that a day, a, a day is coming when we're gonna need to pull this out and go, God, if you're good, I need you. I need you, and you'll be there. And we'll find out you are always there. God, I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.